You're listening to Citizen Reporter, and this is number 455 for the 20th of October, 2013. Welcome to Citizen Reporter, podcast dedicated to humans, issues, things happening in the world, changes. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and I'm also known as Bicycle Mark. And as you may know, I was recently in the United States for a visit, making some journeys in New York, Boston, and Washington, D.C., and I had the great pleasure to finally, for the first time ever, sit down with Frank Edward Nora, the host and producer of The Overnightscape, a podcast that is probably among the oldest out there, now more than 10 years old. And this was a long overdue meeting, and I'm very glad to be able to share it with you today. So let's head out to the streets of New York City. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of people, everyone seems to have a different perspective and, and strategy for Facebook. I guess for my, mine is just I go on a couple times a day. Yeah. I don't read everything. No. And I, if so, if someone keeps posting things that are really annoying, I'll whatever you you, you tone it down. You, yeah. you cut them off. Yeah. But I try telling people it's like it it it, it just it is what you want to make of it. Right. You don't have That's to. True. You don't have to. It's very flexible. Yeah. You know, and but I think it's very right now. I think it's worthwhile to be on Facebook. It's one of those things that it's. You're, you're kind of missing out because I don't think there'll be a Facebook in 10 years I really don't mm. there'll be something else yeah, yeah. this is funny by the way sirens in the distance we know. both have our recorders out this is yes we're both recording <laughs> uh, since I have mine on let me do a station ID okay. uh, so uh, let's try to take a picture of this too okay both all right. with our yeah, we, we, you try your version of this picture, and then I'll try my version. Yeah. You, uh, we're in New York City, uh, gentle listeners, and uh, it's right, get a picture of you here. Frank Edward Nora sitting across from me, and I'm Bicycle Mark, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, trying to look natural, but never actually looking natural. All right, I'm sure I got a good one in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Frank and I have never met in person, uh, but you've been podcasting. You've been doing a lot with audio for going on 10 years. I mean, we're getting there. Yeah, I, I had the 10-year anniversary earlier this year. Yeah. I so missed it. it. <laughs> That's the problem with me. I, I do miss some of your stuff, which I shouldn't, but yeah. That's okay, because <laughs> every show I do is sort of uh, brand new. It's, it's designed for people that had never heard it before to get into it. I don't... I always, yeah. Yeah, I always identify things that I'm talking about. There's no sort of right. in-jokes or in, in, you know, information like that that it's going to alienate anyone. So you can just drift in and out. True, true, yeah. <laughs> Although if you listen over time, you, you recognize your references. Uh, yes, you'll, you, there will be some patterns. Yeah. yeah you may find some <laughs> patterns. Synchronicities. Yes. You know, I, I know. My, my various paranoias yeah. about the past being edited or myself being a clone or reality being a virtual game or all these things you one thing you've said you've got a lot of things that you've said over time that i i find fascinating and i i some, some extent i agree with I, I i have similar thoughts one of them is just real simple um that who knows you know what happens in the future with with these files that we put up yeah and with these programs that we do that maybe right now are noticed or aren't noticed but you've always said like maybe someone finds this recording years and years from now and they're archaeologists you know and and they go what was this world about? Who, you know, and, and they yeah. listen to you, and you're giving them a taste, whatever it's worth. Well, what I what I think is that what 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 I've wound up doing, because originally the idea was sort of just to do a like everyone was doing a podcast or doing a radio show that you thought could become a living, making a living, making yeah. money. As it turned out, that really was something that was quite hard to do. Yeah. So I never really tried that hard to go in a commercial direction. So this has become something that is very much apart from the world of money, from the world of media control. When you look at a lot of the media out there, it's basically, it's, it has a kind of a purpose, you know, sort of guiding society, controlling society. Mm. Most media outlets are ultimately sort of controlled by corporations and financed by banks and part of this pyramidal structure. And I'm not, and I'm not necessarily, you know, there's good things and bad things about that. I think that one of the things I love the most in the world is pop culture. <laughs> this sort of forced communal 
uh, entertainment that we all saw the same TV shows, we all listened to the same music. There's something really magical about that, and it's but it's part of this control structure. But right now, my show is, and there's other shows on the Overnight Escape Underground, which is the channel I have, are very much apart from that, while not being sort of for or against it. So the thing is, you're going to be getting a very different perspective of what it was like to live in the early 21st century. <laughs> I think li listening to these shows without that filter, I think everyone in the mainstream media has a kind of a filter, because I think each of us has like a light within us that is our core personality that shines out when we're being real. And I think that when people are, a lot of people when they're doing podcasts or doing shows, deflect that light in so many ways. They put up facades, right. they become passive aggressive, they put, you know, they have these characters, they, so you're not getting the full person. Hmm. So I think in, in this way, I really have nothing to lose. There's really nothing happening with this. It's sort of obscure, it's, it's, it's you know, it's in the middle of nowhere. But mm -hmm. I think I, I feel much more comfortable just sort of letting that light shine and talking about things as they really are. And I think it may be, I think there's things on my show and perspectives, information that will probably not be in any other place. But you're not trying to have people get to know you, like become your pals listening to you. I mean, that is... um, I, I suppose that I did more of that in the past. Now it's just sort of... Uh, I've sort of given up on the, the the effort of trying to get more listeners. Yeah, I've I've always tr been trying to think how do you do it this and that. But mm -hmm. at this point, I'm thinking of it in more in the uh, sort of like authoring an audio book, a massive audio book, mm -hmm. right? When an author is writing a novel, let's say, may spend a decade writing this massive novel, and even if not that many people are reading it, once it comes out. Right in the end, it's there for all of history. Right. So what I'm producing, and I've actually spent a massive amount of time archiving the shows. They're all on archive.org. There's six and a half months of solid audio of the Overnight Escape Underground on there, over 5,000 different shows, mm. and it's all very meticulously uh, archived. And mo I found that most of the shows from podcasting's heyday, from 2005, 2006, Almost all of them are gone. Yeah. It's, it became more ephemeral than any form in the past. When people in the past would do fanzines, they would do cassette culture, they would press 100 copies of, of a 45 for their garage band. There was always something left over, always something physical, some remnant of what happened. In the case of podcasting, the podcasts were stored on servers, mm -hmm. and, when they, and, and when they stopped paying or when they canceled that account, they went offline. Um, I, I had a case recently where there was a, a show that I listened to called A Career in the Weeklies. It was an audio drama from Canada mm -hmm. uh, from uh, 2003 to 2005. I finally contacted the guy that made it. It was offline for a long time. I couldn't find my own backup copies. I contacted the guy that did it, this guy, Mark Borsi. He was able to find copies of it, so then I preserved it in, in the, my preservation style on archive.org. Yeah. It was almost like through my extreme effort was I able to preserve something like that but most of the shows that were out back then are gone and they're never going to be heard again yeah so, hmm. so you're, you're doing your part to to find a way to make things well last well I mean, I've been I've been trying I've been doing I guess you could call it curating yeah. uh, finding <laughs> things on uh, that I, I think are really worthy of being preserved <laughs> there was a, a music collaboration site uh, from 2004 2005 called myvirtualband.com hmm. and it was a remarkable site it was people were uploading individual music tracks to an FTP server. One guy would do the drums, another guy would do the vocals, another guy would do the guitar, and they were constructing these songs. And what was amazing is every single track, everyone agreed, was under the Creative Commons attribution license. Right. So they produced this body of work of all these interesting songs, and yet they got bought by some other company, and the other company just shut the whole thing down. Right. So I leached, with I think with their permission, their entire FTP server. So I am the only one that has all that stuff. Yeah. I re-released all of their featured songs, and I've done things like that. So in some case, you're really trying to preserve stuff that I think is worthy. It's yeah. a, it, what I find is amazing. It, this is going to go down in history as a time where the, it's the most lost content. But that might be good because lost content always makes things more interesting. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you like lost content now. You like finding gems. I've ever. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And not just in audio. You like you like all kinds of daily life gems, things that are forgotten and. Then there's so much. I mean, we just got through this whirlwind of the 20th century, mm -hmm. which in the history of the multiverse has to be one of the coolest things ever. All of the stuff that happened sort of centered on television mm -hmm. as 
sort of just the coolest, funnest. It's it's in, an incredible body of work yeah. uh, that we're just beginning to sift through here in the early 21st century. And if it if we have less of our own culture, though, I do think it's in a different way for television. It's a golden age. There's a lot of like Breaking Bad. I mean, there's shows that are. Breaking Bad is like better than any show from the 70s, really. Mm. I mean, it's like, you know, there's there were a lot of shows in the 70s, but they, they all were kind of stupid, you <laughs> right, know? Right, right, right. But, yeah, mm. but sorting through the 20th century is something that is, it's going to take us all of our lifetimes to do, and we'll never even get through part of it. But um, it's something that happened. It was this sweep of technology. It was basically going uh, the brief age of analog electronic media, mm-hmm. right? When did, I mean, it was analog electronic media was just a few decades and then it all turned digital right, right. I mean yeah late 1800s was when you're starting to get audio recording and movies and things yeah and then it's then it really you know sort of finds its own in the age of television in the 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s and then everything's starting to go digital there's a certain magic to as you know as you know analog recording of audio music and things I mean uh, yeah all of mm-hmm. the analog equipment that was so imperfect, created a sound that sounded so much better than reality. Uh, And in television especially, uh, the old, just the look of an old television, the way it would scan, the sound, especially the sound of the microphones they were using in the studios, it it created something that was was so absolutely unique. And now it's all kind of lost in a way, that that art form, so. You would have, um, Doug, uh, in 2008, I was doing a job. I was doing audio and video for a conference that was in that, that happened to take place in Bangkok. So the conference said, "You want to go to Bangkok?" I said, "Yes." So I go to Bangkok, and then of course I take time after to go do my show, uh, yeah. find people to talk to about different topics. And I saw that it was pretty cheap to go to Cambodia, and I'm fascinated by the whole Khmer Rouge and the history. And so I said, "Well, sorry, Thailand. I'm going to Cambodia." And I went to Cambodia, and I reached out to anybody I could. Um, organizations. I, I was couch surfing, so I, I even some couch surfers who didn't have space for me that day, I said, could we meet anyway? Could you, you know, what do you do? I'm curious. And, and I ended up at this organization um, that their job was to find examples of Cambodian culture that had been lost. So when the Khmer Rouge came around in the 70s, yeah, they were out by 79, uh, 60s, 70s, um, they destroyed, well, first of all, they killed anyone uh, who was considered educated. If you had yeah. glasses, if you could read. I heard read. about that. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. If you could read, that was grounds for death. Wow. I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, you, you could tell kids these days, but they would not be able to process that because it sounds so impossible to believe. Um, and in that process of killing everyone, they also destroyed as much as they could. So anything that was film, anything that was audio, all pieces of culture, they wanted to start from the beginning, you know, that whole, that, that whole idea. Yeah whatever you call that. That's an old megalomaniac idea, right? Like, start from ground, like, zero, tabula rasa, new human. And that was the Khmer Rouge's thing, right? A new human. So, this organization now, uh, all these years since this happened, they're trying to find any evidence, audio, video, of Cambodia. Doesn't matter what it is. And in order to do that, they can look in the country, they won't find much. What they can do is record anyone who is alive still, old people especially, stories. Um music, things that they still got up here, you know, that they could sing, that they could tell. The other thing is they go around to France, because it was a colonial power, to the United States, Canada, anyone who has a pretty big cultural museum-y preservation, documentary-making tradition, and they ask to have anything related to Cambodia. And so when I was there, they showed me some of the early stuff they'd gotten, and some of it was so basic, you know, I don't think anyone would really be compelled by any of it. It was like a black-and-white, grainy maybe 20 second video of um, bison coming out of like a, a barn and then a farmer kind of just moving them along and this was Cambodia, it was taken by some French film crew, I guess in the 50s, maybe earlier, and, uh, and, and they were so happy to have this, and there was a complicated process to get it, even worse not for this film, but for other films they have to get permission it's their culture, but they didn't do the recording, right? So so they had to uh, work out... Copyright stuff. Yeah. yeah, in some cases, they only had permission to play it in their museum, and it could not leave the museum, in some uh, cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous, but it's also an amazing task. This is the kind of task you would enjoy, actually. You know, how do we... We lost everything. How do we find or, or redo uh, stuff before it's completely gone? Um, and they're still there. They're still doing it. 
It was, a, it was an amazing collection, amazing task. Well, that's another thing of the 20th century. Things like that happened. I mean, it just seems kind of, I mean, we, I live in this, I don't really, I don't travel very much, I'm, but I'm here every day, so this is sort of like, it's the cool to be in New here. York. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of hard to imagine that we sort of, we have this kind of atmosphere here of this kind of uh, safety and, you know, really very meta. Like being in New York City, it's sort of like, you know, like, yeah, well, that the... happens to people over there. That can never happen here. I mean, we had a few disasters. We had 9-11 and we had this Hurricane Sandy last year. Yeah. But in all those things, it seems like it's a big uh, hullabaloo for a few months and then you get back to normal. You do, you get back, I mean, yeah. it, it hasn't even been a month since Sandy and it's like, it seems like years ago, you know? Yeah. Right. So. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there have been times, but, you know, when I thought that I know exactly what you're saying. I, I, I lived here, and I left here in 2001. Left here right after 9/11. Yeah. Um, and actually, 9/11 was the only time where I really looked around and thought, um, "Oh, I see how a country can lose its mind," <laughs> you know, or yeah. how bad decisions can be made, or scared decisions can be made, where you just say, "Like, ah, they're dangerous. Round them up. Round them up." And I mean, it didn't happen, of course, or well, small examples of it did happen, but. But that's when I realized, like, oh yeah, now I see how this happened. It's always been. Fa I live near Germany, right? And yeah. I always go to Germany, and not, you know, every waking moment. But I think it wasn't that long ago. How did it work? Did a neighbor go, yeah, we need to this war thing we need to do, and those people, yeah, I don't like them. They need to be around them. But it doesn't happen that way. It, it's it's different. It's you'd think it couldn't happen, and then it does. <laughs> it's, I think I think it. This country could easily be pushed in any of those directions. Yeah. Just whoever's pulling the strings has sort of decided not to do it. Right. Uh, People are fair, yeah. you know, have some level of uh, thinking and critical thinking. But I, th I think you're right. In the right, right uh, stimulus, the right disaster, or you can you can push a lot. You can push change as well in a, in a in a good way. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah. I think I think in, right now in, in the current uh, times here. Uh, the politics have have become so cartoonish and so yeah. ridiculous, and I long ago gave up on the left-right <laughs> politics. Yeah, uh, but people really get into it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't belittle it because it is a form of entertainment. It's a form of engagement. Uh, I know people, you know, there's people that are older that don't have a lot in their life, and they'll listen to Michael Savage, and that's a big thing in their yeah, life. Yeah, even if it is for ideas that may be, you know, less than admirable, <laughs> it is. So I, I don't, I, I acknowledge that aspect of it, but. Uh, people don't see the big picture and they, they're, they're not seeing it. At this point, you should see it. I mean, it's become pretty mainstream that setting X versus Y and uh, controlling us through ch choosing X or Y, even though X or Y are not the only choices the only and they're choice, both right. against your better interests, people right. will gravitate towards them. Yeah. And it's this simple process that <laughs> they've been using and it's it's like a Chinese finger trap. The, the only way to get out of it is to kind of look at it again, like at a meta level, and say, I, I got to get out of this. Yeah. Neither one of these choices no. is good for me, right. but people don't. And it's, I think in a way, the reason why we still have such a generally free society is that it is so easy to control people. There don't need to be more strict controls. Mm -hmm. um, to they me, they found the soft way to do it or the. Yeah, to me, one of the most important things you can listen to, it's on archive.org, it's called <laughs> The Ultimate Revolution by Aldous Huxley. It's, it's, it's a little talk he gave in Berkeley in, I think, 1962, and he talks about how the oligarchs, as he calls them, and he just mentions them briefly, there are oligarchs, there always will be, you'll never get rid of them, they control everything, obviously. He didn't even talk about that point, it was just obvious to him. <laughs> that was his and, and he said that, um, you know, his book, Brave New World, and, and the, uh, the, the George Orwell's book, 1984, were the two general philosophies of how to control a society. Yeah. One is through terroristic means in 1984, just like a brutal dictator government, everyone is the number and you're tortured and this kind of stuff. In Brave New World, people uh, are manipulated through pleasure, through drugs, through television, through these kinds of things to love yeah. their servitude. And um, he said, this. so this is the style that we have here. Mm -hmm. He said, these oligarchs don't do that because they're kind, it's just more efficient. Yeah. So, uh, so the thing is, once you once you see that, it's a double-edged sword. It's basically, well, people are sheep and they're being led in these directions. But at the same time, I can live a generally peaceful life and be relatively free because everyone else is so easy to control. Mm. And it is sort of this world of um, 
pleasures, you know, uh, binge-watching TV shows and mm -hmm. coffee and Grand Theft Auto. It's just this sort of pleasure-based thing. Yeah. But I kind of like the pleasure-based thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm a hedonist yeah. at some level, yeah. even though we're being controlled. So, so yeah, I, you know, I watch, I think a lot of people watch a lot of series, right? Um, yeah. I, I know, I think you're picky about it, but at the same time, you try new stuff. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, you mention some new series that you're trying out, and I... I suffer the same that you do. I go, oh, yeah, I tried that. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think Under the Dome was the latest. I don't know if you tried I gave that. up on that, yeah. yeah. But uh, Orphan Black, that's the one to check out. Oh, okay. Yes. But so I, I was thinking the other day, you know, I, I, I don't even, I don't have TV. I know a lot of people say this. It's so trendy to say this, but I don't. Uh, but, of course, I download TV yeah. in Amsterdam, and so do most of the Dutch, by the way. <laughs> They're watching American shows. They watch British stuff, too, if it's worth it. Um, and... I was thinking how many hours of my life, and you really can't do this because you'll lose your mind if you start calculating how many hours you've done X or Y, but I was thinking, you know, I, I like this series, I'm looking forward to watching it tonight. How often in my life, the last few years and in the future, am I going to be going, oh, I can't watch the, wait to watch that next episode? And I just think, what if I just didn't do this? What, if, what else would I be doing? You know, probably something. I could maybe do something pointless. I could do something purposeful. I don't know, but it's amazing that... This is the place series is yeah. have in my life. Like, it's an hour or two, I wouldn't say a day, but almost every day. And that's strange, but it's, it's, maybe it's fine. I, th I just think, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I, I often think about what this world really is, and okay. I, I've come to the thought that, hey, I deliberately incarnated in 1967 in, in a middle-class New Jersey home just so I could watch all those TV shows in the 70s and play all those video games in the arcades in the early 80s and watch Lost in the 2000s and like just 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 for the entertainment value because these kinds of entertainment like if I go to play Galaga now uh, it'll be completely different than playing it in 1981 right mm -hmm. when you're young and these things are new I remember the first time I saw Pac-Man and the first time I played Pac-Man it's just it was an incredible experience you just had to be there you had to be a certain age and you had to have lived through the, that entire 70s as a kid finally getting to this golden age of video games. You had to play Pong at home and suffer through those primitive games. Yeah. To really fully appreciate this pop culture, you have to be, you have to live an entire lifetime immersed yeah. in it. Yeah. So you might think of it as a very decadent thought that as a meta being, you could um, choose to incarnate back in time in different places and different times to just to experience pop culture. Mm. Hmm. Which I, I, and I consider that a possibility because I feel that, like I, I, I revere and I care for pop culture so much that, you know, it, maybe it has importance in that cosmic sense. Hmm. I'm, I'm into or purely decadent sense. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I justify it by, although there's no need to justify any of this, but uh, I appreciate the work. I can see the work that's been done. Yeah. You know, the lines. The, I mean, I can lose myself in a character and feel like I know them, but at the same time, I can appreciate like, wow, they wrote that line in, or they chose this setting, and. Uh, that's the big difference for me nowadays. It's, it doesn't make it any more or less of a, a good use of time. Uh, but when I watch it, I'm watching some skill, these skills that have been put together, and I'm impressed with what comes out. Well, yeah, like these days, uh, binge-watching really good TV shows, like I said, there was nothing like that in the past. I remember watching TV in real time in the 70s, Waiting. and it was just, it was junk. It was the Donnie and Marie hour, and you go and rewatch some of that stuff. Yeah. It has a kitsch value, and there, there's, but if you actually try to watch some of that stuff, it does not engage. It does not hold yeah. your attention. It was, like, yeah. bad. Yeah. You know, even TV shows like, I don't know, Sanford and Son, yeah. and, like, yeah. like, I try watching them sometimes, and it just, I just kind of drift away. I can't, it doesn't hold my attention. Right. Though back then, I would just, we, would, would just we were TV addicts growing up. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't one of those households where there was no TV. We had maximum TV. Uh, yeah, me too, me too. You know, my, my so I were, love that. <laughs> my parents were completely suspicious of it. They tried to hold me back from it, but it was it was the thing, yeah, to yeah. watch TV. But, but here we are, and we're... I mean, you're an audio guy. How did yeah. that happen? <laughs> well, you know, I think... I had a few revelations growing up. Like, back in the 70s, they would sell cassettes called radio reruns in the supermarkets that had old-time radio shows like Abbott and Costello and W.C. Fields and uh, Jack Benny and having had no awareness of old-time radio getting I don't know how I was attracted to them but getting them and listening to them I was utterly hooked and utterly fascinated at what can be done in audio mm -hmm. audio is a completely different medium than audio plus video and there's just something magical that happens I mean there's so much of our lives where I've talked about this a lot recently like what is it 
like right now that I'm perceiving things around me, like what is this signal? What is the quality of this? It's hard to even know my consciousness, my ultimate awareness is receiving content and then somehow it becomes, I, there's no words for it, mm -hmm. but audio does something different. Audio uh, puts you in a different state of mind and it, it takes you places, it does different things to the mind. I just remember listening to uh, Jack Benny, he, and, uh, a Jack Benny show on those radio reruns where he was, he had this feud with this guy, Fred Allen, who, Fred Allen, whose whole thing was saying how he was on a treadmill to oblivion, and he really was. No one knows who he is anymore. He actually wrote a book, Treadmill to Oblivion, which was his view of radio. But him and Jack Benny had this feud, and I just remember listening to this, not knowing any of the context, not knowing the characters or anything, and just, it was Jack Benny going through this, his parody version of Alan's Alley, where there were all these different characters. I was just utterly hooked and utterly fascinated by it. And then a few years later, uh, I got uh, Laurie Anderson's United States live yeah. on cassette. And this was a multimedia uh, performance art piece that was actually put on at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. I had never seen it, I just heard the audio. And to understand all the different things that could be done with audio besides just music, it blew my mind. She was real it, experimental, yeah. Yeah, it blew my mind and it opened up all these vistas of what was possible with audio only. Yeah. Because there wasn't that much stuff. It was just it's music and then it was the radio. Mm -hmm. And of course, always loving the radio. I was an early, early fan of, of Howard Stern. As soon as he came to New York, I was listening to him. And that, I remember coming home from school, I was probably in eighth grade and just lying in bed in like a fetal position, just listening to whatever was left of his show when I got home from school, yeah. absorbing it. And, uh, and then, of course, ultimately discovering Gene Shepard, who is the patron saint of our entire operation at the Overnight Skate <laughs> Underground. He did a show here in New York, actually, you know, uh, down by uh, Bryant Park from the mid-50s to the mid-70s, mm -hmm. and he did this monologue format. Mm -hmm. And uh, back around 2000, 2001, these guys had collected uh, a couple thousand episodes of his show, and, and you could give them your address and they would mail you DVD-Rs of the show with, with the understanding that you would duplicate them and send them back. So I spent a year or two listening to Gene Shepard, yeah. uh, absorbing it, and it was only after that much time of feeling it, of, of, of grokking it, of, of, of understanding it, that I started doing the Overnightscape as sort of, because uh, I had picked up the pattern, I had picked up the information. I never would have been able to do it before. The idea of just standing by yourself or sitting by yourself with no one else around and just talking into the microphone is something that initially is very off-putting and is very scary to people, but only by hearing the example. Gene Shepard was brilliant. And he did a very different kind of show than I do. He, a lot of times he would tell stories that were fictional, but in the first person. Mm. And uh, it was hard to tell where his life uh, ended and the fiction began. Right, right. I don't do that. I'm always talking about real truth, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, if you listen to those shows, it's again, it opened my mind to a whole other kind of possibility in audio. Yeah. And then just the the night radio romance of you being alone and you're hearing this one voice in the night, and yeah. it, again, it does something. There's a there's a companionship. There's a there's yeah. there's a feeling of belonging. It's, and at some level, it's impossible to, to describe this feeling, but it's there. Yeah. And uh, it, it really is like a magical thing. And that's it, But it's also something that's very hard to define. Mm -hmm. All of my efforts to define it, it's one of those things that just slips through your grasp. Right. But you sort of know it when you hear it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I so. was a fan of night radio, definitely. Also because I wasn't supposed to be up. So yeah. that was exciting. Everything late night television was always fascinating to me, but I couldn't, I couldn't get away with that because someone in the house would notice if I was near the TV, right? Yeah. There was no such thing as TV in your room. That, that my family would never go for that. But I had a radio in my room. It was my alarm clock. So I would, uh, I loved the sleep timer. I could set it for an hour or whatever, and um, I would listen the weirdest stuff that I would never listen to nowadays. So for example, sports radio. You know, you have WFAN, which I yeah. find annoying nowadays. But they used to have some voices that I just they were my they were my voices you know to listen to and one of them was the overnight guy Steve Summers he still does it I think he's once a week now and he was like this in my mind this old guy he would just talk sports in a really old man kind of way and I liked listening to him and he wasn't the only one there were lots of late night radio programs including things that you just thought like oh I'm not supposed to be listening to this. I think Z100 used to do like love lines when this was an yeah, original yeah. idea and for me as a teenager I was like oh I'm not supposed to be listening to it it's people's sex problems like yay you know just listen I would stay up instead of sleeping and listen um, 
and that yeah, night radio was was a big deal for me. Um, yeah. So that, I think I think that's part of you know what I'm what I just sort of I guess I'm trying to capture and trying to or I guess it's a, a byproduct of what I'm doing is that it's it's like that because yeah. um, another thing that keeps slipping through my grasp is this <laughs> idea that you know should more people be doing what we're doing the idea that any person and on this planet in in a given moment has this incredible treasure which is their current personality, mm. their thoughts, their lo physical location, their recent history, all of these things that if they were to share it, especially in audio, which is such an immersive uh, medium, that people in the future, I think, would be very interested in hearing. And you can also look at it as time travel or time tourism. We're on the past side of that time tunnel. So I feel like, uh, you know, we're here in 2013, but we're opening a gateway to the to anyone in the future, and the, I really think this time period is going to be very interesting to people in the future. I really do think that maybe not all timelines, but many timelines will continue on for hundreds of years or thousands of years in this current society. I think that in the year 2500, someone would be incredibly interested to hear someone from 2013, and yeah. I mean, we're we would, if we went back, yeah, if we could, yeah. We don't have recordings like that, really, of regular people talking about stuff outside of that, that corny facade that people had. So I think it is something where, like, we talk about losing treasures, losing things in societies. In Cambodia, everything being destroyed. Well, to me, it's like there's these billions of people that have this thing to offer, but they're, it's being squandered, it's being wasted, and because it's absolutely off everyone's radar. Everything that I do... I can never explain it to someone that hasn't heard the show. Mm -hmm. They're like, when are you on? What music do you play? It's, it's, it's <laughs> mind-boggling. Yeah, it's yeah. completely out of the yeah. public consciousness. I guess that makes it a, more fascinating, but, yeah. you know, it's, I just, I kind of feel like, should I try harder to try to promote this? Is it a responsibility, being that I'm here, that I should try to turn people onto this idea? But I've kind of given up because it seems like the program, the mass programming, it just doesn't seem to include anything like similar it. enough to that that people have a hook where they can get it. Right. Yeah. Do, do, do you, I, I think I already hear the answer to this, but I'm asking it anyway. Um, would it matter to you if, if, if 10 years ago you had 5,000, 10,000 listeners and now you had 100, does it matter to you? Um, I mean, it, it definitely was a, it seemed to be in the thousands range and now it's in the hundreds range. Right. Um, I know. And, yeah. uh, no, I mean, I don't think so. I think that I've been able to keep it under control, that I don't spend so much time on it in my life. It's still probably a little bit right. too much, but it's it's at a hobby level. Yeah. And I'm very self-critical, and I, I still feel like I'm still very happy with the shows that I'm doing. I feel like probably, for me personally, the, the shows I've been doing lately are probably among my best material. I feel like it's constantly getting better. It seems that unlike people in a rock band, let's say, where they shoot their load and they're done they have two good albums and then there's nothing the rest of it is horrible right. it seems like this format you just keep getting better and better maybe yeah. sort of like an author as well so that's good you know mm -hmm. someone like Bob Grant I don't know if you remember him on the radio <laughs> yeah. a local yeah. conservative talk show host right. I think he's still doing it the guy's like yeah. 100 years old I think he briefly had a stint on one of the satellite radio well now one satellite radio yeah, yeah. but it, that's sort of heartening that you could just this is something that you can just sort of keep doing and it's sort of you know yeah, I don't know who said it, uh, but it's one of those quotes that gets recycled. Uh, you're only, in, especially in journalism, even though this isn't journalism exactly, but you're only as good as your latest uh, whatever it is. Uh, but that, yeah. but that brings me to another thing that bugs me. Yeah. Um, you do a good show this week. You did a good show three months ago. The internet, which is our current place where people are listening. Um, is not very good at finding stuff from the past. I know we have search engines, but it's usually about your latest show. So I have shows I'm very proud of, and you do too, from five years ago, and very few people have checked them out recently, and will. You know, it's... It is, the, that is the current situation, and I, I try to promote the archive as much as I can. I've, I've done uh, several archive collections in different ways, and I do consider that something that is a to-do thing, is to try to contextualize the archive in a bigger way. And believe me, I'm always trying to contextualize the archive I have all different schemes and strategies for it. None of them seem particularly successful thus far, but the archives are there on archive.org. Um, very organized, very easy to access. So it just it's 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 about creating sort of a 
a reason for people to do it, a culture of people listening to the old shows. Uh, so yes, it's. I see a potential for it. I don't think it's hopeless, but currently it's. It is this idea of building up this big thing that very few people are are seeing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because. Because, like, the internet doesn't have one set of values, right? Nor does a country, really. Because yeah. it's a diverse country with lots of different values. But there is a, a tendency, the, 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 the mass tendency, whether it's to watch videos on YouTube, and these things change. Facebook is part of the mass tendency. And as you mentioned, maybe in 10 years, it might not be. Yeah. Um, and this mass tendency of what's new matters and what's recent matters, there's no sign of it letting up. You know, no. it's a... Maybe it's always been that way. Uh, I don't know. That's I just think, I mean, but on the other hand, I have heard many, many reports from listeners that they have gone back and listened to all my shows. That's so this is like, really like So <laughs> yeah. of the people that have done that, it's it's been a number of people. I mean, maybe not a lot, but ten, maybe tens of people I've heard talk about this and doing this. Yeah. And it feels so great to know that they're doing that, and it becomes a big thing in their life. I mean, they're listening to me talk for several thousand hours really yeah. and um, so people are doing it so yeah. it's not like no one's doing it it's just, it, it's, right. it's just very rare but I think like what, what I try to tell people is like if, if you enjoy this, what I'm doing this is certainly not for everyone but if you like it there's a whole lot more out there in fact there's right. enough, enough of a supply that you can sort of <laughs> it can be this sort of comfort in ritual kind of thing for, yeah. for your life ongoing Yeah. so that was a Starbucks had that comfort in ritual I, I thought that was amazing they actually used that that phrase it seemed odd for Starbucks but <laughs> it's true. There is a comfort in ritual, and um, I think for someone to get into the archives, it's a great way. Because most of my shows, I really try to keep a consistent tone. Mm -hmm. And whenever I shift, whenever I change the format, either making it longer or shorter, any slight shift in tone, people really got bent out of shape. Yeah. So I think in general, <laughs> it's all. If you even go back to the, the first show, it's all pretty similar. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah something about that oh uh, I was just thinking about surveys have you I've never filled out any survey for you so I don't know if you've done this you ever survey the audience uh, I did it once <laughs> I don't know if I've ever really surveyed the audience I mean I've had things where I, I wanted people like on a particular episode I'm like please send in an email no matter what I was really <laughs> really cajoling and Sorry, begging the audience yeah. <laughs> you know like it was like the episode 150 experiment or something and they always turned out to be disappointments yeah. uh, but you figure that you know the number of people that responded, you can multiply that by a few times because the people that just wouldn't respond. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I feel it. it's weird. It's just, you, and I think in a way, because I don't want to spend so much time on the project that it's going to burn me out, mm. I don't pursue interaction as much as I used to. Well, you don't want to be disappointed. I mean, you you want yeah. things that encourage you, not discourage you. And, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, like, listener interaction can be a hugely time-consuming thing. Right. Uh, going, you know... I read all the emails, obviously, but going through and reading emails or doing some sort of audio line mm. or even doing live shows. We've actually done some Google Hangout type of things where we, a lot of the hosts on the channel are talking to each other. And I found that, you know, even that is a, is a big commitment of time and energy. Just being able to record where you are, when you are, walking around the streets, to me, sort of just like Facebook, making it easy enough to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. My production technique making it easy enough yeah. that I can sustain it and not burn myself out is right. the, sort of the key to it, you know? Yeah, that's also been interesting, right? The last, uh, I think you and I have experienced this at the same pace. We've got nine years of some tools getting better, recorders, software. So yeah. actually, one thing I'm very good at is producing a show in a low amount of time. And as a result, I can live my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the post-production now is pretty minimal i mean i'll, yeah. I'll just take this and I, I have a thing called the other side now that i that i do separately but that's a whole other topic but yeah. uh but i just merge the files together i do no editing unless i said something particularly egregious that i really want to take out which is rare these days i, I stand by your words yeah um and I usually, I usually do a piece of unique show art for each episode which can right. take a few minutes right, right. but it's pretty flexible yeah. Then it's just a matter of uploading it, sort of posting it. And I, I do try to write descriptions. Now I'm just sort of, whatever I can remember I talked about, I'll write down. I have put it on two different blogs, theovernightscape.com, which is just the Overnightscape, then the Overnightscape Underground, which is everything mixed together. Okay. Then post something on Twitter, which is the only thing I do with Twitter anymore. I post it on Twitter. Yeah. Then I post it on the Facebook group. I've automated all of that. Yeah, yeah the, but the, it's more genuine if you. Well, actually. the Twitter, the Twitter <laughs> goes to my general Facebook feed, and then I have the, the Overnightscape group, which I do a separate post in. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's it's become very automatic because I just do it so often. So right. you know. Right. right. Yeah. Hmm. 
Um, I lost one. I had something that I wanted to bring up. Well, I was going to mention oh. about the other... Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I know. One of the things I used to yeah. love, and it's been a long time since I got any such message. Uh, I still get messages, but they're they're different now. They're what people would like me to look into. They, some yeah. people see me as someone who could investigate something and, and report back, so they yeah. throw topics my way. But um, I used to get those emails, and you, you reminded me of this, of people... I mean, one was a couple in Vancouver who said... You know, we listen to your show, and it's it's our Thursday night ritual, and that was so cool. Yeah. I I haven't gotten that in a long time, but knowing that I was anybody's morning ritual or evening ritual was really like motivating. Uh, yeah, no, it, it it feels great, and even in I guess a term that you haven't heard lately, but the, the micro fame, you know, where you yeah. have a few fans, um, you are able to sort of experience what it's like to be a celebrity in a very small way and better yeah. because you actually talk to the people. I mean, Twitter yeah. had that in the beginning, but yeah. it's losing it fast, where you actually know... I'm a big fan of our generation, cause, or our era, because you no longer put people up on a pedestal who you admire and never talk to them. I yeah. mean, maybe that was fun yeah. for a certain reason. But now you talk to the people who you admire. You might find they're human. You might be disappointed. <laughs> I've had that happen a few times. But, but mostly, what you find is they're great, good. You can know them. You yourself are great, probably, as a listener or as a... You know, you could be just as great as they are, or whatever it is. You know, I, I like this more even playing field. Yeah, but still, if you look at it, I mean, the the mainstream uh, yeah. stars. I mean, this is this is again that same thing that people are so obsessed with Miley Cyrus and the mainstream <laughs> stuff. But it it on the other hand, it forms this commonality of experience that I think it has a benefit, even though it's 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 uh, it doesn't seem very. It it, it always seems just stupid and uh, and uh, pointless but as opposed to society and culture developing in a way that might be objectionable to the oligarchs which might result in some kind of unpleasant crackdown yeah. so whereas obviously who are these oligarchs why are they crushing our lives who are these people but if, if it's if it's unavoidable maybe it's you know it's okay that people like me wallow in obscurity while the mediocre ones the mm. you know the Justin Bieber's and all those people become godlike celebrities you know yeah no I was going to talk about like the the Creative Commons music which also oh, okay. which also relates to <laughs> curating and preserving things this is a really interesting time period for music because there is this explosion in open source not open source but open licensed music mm. only in the past five years or so mostly coming out of Europe there's an incredible wave of music that anyone can reproduce because it's under a Creative Commons license. And I've been spending enormous amounts of time going through this stuff. And this to me has been, an for me, an incredible story because I've always been so into music, but finding Creative Commons music that I not only like, but I love, and it's sort of, this becomes some of the greatest music. I listen to it for pleasure, and I play it on my show now. This, this year, I've been playing uh, Creative Commons music. To me, it's, it's such a... It, it's rare that you actually talk to these artists or if you can even find them. I mean, it's, they uploaded something then disappeared. Okay. But it's, 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 uh, it's incredible because this is now a culture that it's not... I am not just listening, but I am now taking ownership in a way I can now redistribute, recontextualize, and maybe a lot of this music, probably no one would be hearing it other than my effort to preserve it. This makes me feel so much more interested in the music because I can do more with it than just sit and listen to it. So it's, you know, even though it that itself has not been, especially in this country, has not become very big. No one cares about Creative Commons stuff in this country, I don't think. My uh, my brother-in-law is a musician and my, and my, 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 my sister-in-law, I talk to them about Creative Commons and they're very, mm -hmm. they, 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 they're very against it and they think it's a, a loophole and it's a problem. Wow. But, problem uh, even. Well, they think it's just, it's just to cheat musicians. This is the idea that people have. Um, but this is... Because I started off looking for this stuff back in 05, 06, and there was nothing around. It was dry. So you're talking 2007, 2008, and then to now. Incredible a rush of stuff. I mean, it's, yeah. it is... To me, this is a new revolution in music that is being completely ignored by most people. So that's something I'm really... And I did a thing called 500 Song Trip where it was 500 songs from all over the internet that I curated and presented and I spent way too much time on it. But that's something I have out there now. And then also the incredible availability of vintage 
video and audio material that I've been going through, also putting on my show on the other side, um, where there is this vast archives of government videos, ephemeral videos, old TV shows, especially ephemeral TV stuff, the sort of the, the promos, the in-between things, mm -hmm. in-between a commercial, the beginning of the five o'clock movie. There is so much stuff out there now that was not out there 10 years ago. YouTube is filled with it, archive.org is filled with it. I mean, there's smaller sites that have it. It is an absolute treasure trove, and when you recontextualize it into audio and just listen to this stuff that was previously just on, was on video, it again takes on another form. So I'm, I'm like super excited about this stuff, and I feel like it's a new aesthetic. I don't know if anyone else is doing it, but I'm super excited doing about it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a way, this is all stuff that's really unique to the early 21st century, and um, all of these things, you know, being able to take a recorder, walk around, talk about your experience, finding that music, and so there's so many things that are, I would say a lot of this stuff is even of just of the past five years of the past seven years. So, and I see most people not even paying attention to it. But I think this is really cool because I really realize, like, if I time travel back to 1984, let's say, I think it would be cool for a, a week or two, but it would be incredibly boring. We're creatures of the 21st century now. And there's so many things that are better, even though a lot of our thoughts are of, oh, music used to be better, TV used to be better. But I think we're starting to see, I think, as you said, the technology is getting better. And even though there's a lot of stuff that may not be so great, that this is a great time to live in so many ways. And it's almost invisible, all that, you know. But yeah. I find it super exciting. You know? Yeah, yeah and, and as technology improves, you can no longer say, well, I don't have the time. If everything becomes so much easier to do and faster, yeah. this whole excuse for so much in this life, sometimes exactly. it's a real excuse, sometimes I think it's just people saying it, that say that you don't have time is simply not true anymore, or maybe will become less. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, these days you can develop workflows to get this stuff done, especially the other side where I'm combining 40 minutes of music and audio uh, intertwined. A lot of times it's eight, 10, 12 tracks, just a few programs uh, and merge it together and so I f you can find ways now of doing it and streamlining production and, and getting this stuff done you know yeah yeah hmm. yeah you, you were reminding me a few times during this conversation of that old uh, I haven't been watching the onion uh, news channel lately but they used to have this great sketch uh, they do their fake talk show yeah their fake morning talk show and a uh, archaeologist came to describe his latest discovery, a community online called Friendster. <laughs> and, and, uh, and of course, the, the fake uh, hosts are like, tell us about this place. And he goes, well, as far as we know, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, kids would put their photos holding alcohol. Let me show you some examples. And he <laughs> opens up a, a Friendster page. And, you know, and they joke and they go, well, what happened to these people? Well, we don't know. <laughs> they seem to have gone extinct. They seem to have moved. They seem to have migrated. And, you know, it's, it's a whole joke, but at the same time, there's so much truth to it. You know, he said, uh, we invite people to look, but please don't touch anything. You know, we're still working on understanding what happened here. And uh, I, I think of that sketch all the time because uh, I think there's a lot of truth about the Internet. In the well, that's, that's, I mean, to me, that something I've been talking about recently on the show is is the internet in the 90s and yeah. I, I'm so fascinated because I was on the internet in the 90s yeah. there are so many things that are just these distant memories and there's very little left of it um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones I was looking at like uh, there were certain like internet cartoon sites uh, like wildbrain.com okay. and, and icebox.com that were pre-YouTube yeah. that there were destination sites uh, for, for this kind of entertainment and like uh, the DEN the Digital Entertainment Network was one of them yeah Apparently, they were very controversial. Um, I remember when AOL was new, and it was one of the main ways to get on the internet, right? Because we had yeah. these other services. And you could just, there was a directory of everyone. And yeah, I would just look yeah. up my last name and write to people who had the same last name. And I became friends with some of those people. Still today, I know them. You can't, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's just, you know, we have the Wayback Machine on archive.org right. that can give us some clues as to what was going on back then. But it was a whole different set of context it was uh, it was a whole different there was a there was such a to, I'm, I'm trying to I always try to remember what it was like in the 90s <laughs> I think there was a, a much greater level of cynicism about everything I remember being that really cynical early to mid 90s guy because I was picking it up you know from like the Dennis Millers and stuff you know they <laughs> like everything sucked and it kind of did I mean there was a lot of crummy <laughs> culture in the 90s yeah. um, and I think what I felt was the potential of, of the internet where you could create a brand, you could create licensable content, and you could use this new tool 
right, to subvert the mainstream, that yeah. general concept, which slowly faded away just because it it's became more and more apparent it wasn't going to happen, yeah. but that dream of that was part of what it was like to be in the 90s and be on the internet in the 90s. There was a whole different level of uh, potential that we saw. Now it doesn't seem like there's, it, it, we have a different view of the future now of the internet, I think. It was freer then, would you say that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess in a way, I mean, we also forget how bad the technology was, <laughs> yeah. how bad yeah. the, the video was with uh, whatever, yeah. 256 oh, yeah. colors or yeah. whatever, yeah. Um, how it took forever, all the dial-up crap, and it was just annoying. I remember my first websites that I had, that had uh, you know, 50 megabytes was your disk space allotted on the server. Yeah. I put a few episodes of the show up, then I had to take the old ones down. Right. <laughs> I just actually checked my DreamHost account, and um, I have about 450 gigabytes on their server, yeah. which they oversell everything, but they say unlimited disk space and unlimited bandwidth. And they're serious about that. I have a 450 gigs on their hard drives. Probably most people don't have anywhere near that much. And also, the bandwidth is around 450 gigabytes a month. Yeah. So that's mostly new stuff. But that's a lot of bandwidth. It costs ten dollars a month. <laughs> you wouldn't be allowed to. I have mean, that. imagine that. I mean, imagine yeah. it's not an issue anymore. No. Going from fifty megabytes to four hundred and fifty gigabytes. I mean, it's. Yeah. 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 I was kind of. I was. I didn't even realize I was transferring that much stuff. But I guess their operation is such that they can handle it. Yeah. And if it, you know me paying ten dollars, I'm a, among thousands or hundreds, tens of thousands of people also paying that much that have very little traffic. So. Right, who don't use what's available. I don't even yeah. think I have a lot of traffic, but that seems to be a lot of traffic. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I, it feels less free. I, I, I often see, and maybe it's even over, but that we've just lived through the golden era of the internet. Uh, and golden era meaning a time where you could do a lot of different things. Yeah, it's true. Technology wasn't always... You know, it, it made things slow or, or more difficult, and that you could be found, and it didn't matter. Now, there are, you know, the oligarchs have caught up, not yeah. completely, maybe, but they're there. They they handled the internet very well, I think. <laughs> Again, in their nefarious, or, <laughs> they we don't know what their intentions are, but I don't know what their intentions are. But <laughs> they handled something like the internet without having to ban it. They, right? I think it took a huge amount of planning and effort to make an internet where stupid young celebrities are the topic. But that, I think, is important for control, that it does not become a, a, a thing where, like you said, I think you use the word freedom, but I think getting found and standing out was much easier okay. back then. Now it's like impossible. It's really, yeah. it's, it's, it's impossible. In fact, I think a lot of people, you know, we picked up our listeners in, in 2005 for podcasts. Yes. And, yes. and those are the ones mostly that we still have. I mean, I, I know people have come on board yeah. since then, but that was the big thing because- It's harder. It's harder. Because it, you know, I was one of the first, I believe, one of the one of the first fifty podcasters, sure. uh, and I, you may know that I had this incredible experience of uh, the Times of London, their magazine, kind of like the New York Times magazine. They were looking for a podcaster to interview. This was in November two thousand four, real early. Mm -hmm. So they called me at work and they did a whole page article about the overnightscape in the Times of London magazine. And that was the biggest media I ever had. Yeah. And uh, it was just because I was one of the very few at that time. Yeah. And then quickly into 2005, it, it exploded, and right. there, there, you, you couldn't stand out. And I felt really bitter in the fact that I was one of the first ones, and I thought I really was working hard. But when I went to those podcast expos, I felt like an also-ran. I felt like a nobody because I wasn't good at schmooz schmoozing, right. you know? Right. So I, I was really upset by that. Yeah. But it was, I guess, my own fault because I wasn't going on other people's shows. I wasn't interacting with people. I just thought doing a good show was enough, but yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. You know? I have the, I have, uh, you know... Sometimes I think, oh, yeah, I've been doing it this long, and I have this feeling like somehow I'm owed something, <laughs> or I deserve to have achieved something now. I don't exactly know what it is. Yeah. And then I remember no one owes me anything. <laughs> I, I, that's one good thing about doing this kind of stuff. It's, it, it, it burns off all, e all ego. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't possibly be arrogant. I, I guess I am arrogant as part of my personality a little bit, but just for fun. But, uh, no, I mean, it's the expectations have become... Uh, Mm -hmm. Very low, and but but it, again, it's one of those things. Like just like in the '90s, thinking that certain things would be possible and they're, and they're not. The podcasters that got popular that 
now I don't know if any podcasters are popular. Uh, <laughs> Keith and the girl, maybe, or no, uh, from, you know. oh, from that generation. No. Yeah, I mean, not it's, really. it's not like anyone became super popular. I mean, no, actually, it's the people who've come along lately. Yeah. Who knows how long that'll last? Like Mark yeah. Maron. Yeah. Mark Maron's a great example. I, I I'm annoyed sometimes. I listen to Mark Maron and, and his, his WTF, and um, you know, the man knows nothing of the history of podcasting. And you know what? He doesn't have to know. No. <laughs> because he's made a living out of it. He's enjoying himself. He's connecting with an audience, I think. Um, he's meeting a lot of his heroes. And, and it's like, I could sit around going, uh, you don't know. You don't know what we went through. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter what we went through. No, <laughs> and it's weird because there's a podcasting group on Facebook that I recently joined. And there's still, I'm surprised that there's still people doing it because most of the main places for podcasting um, are all shutting down. Uh, Right. Podcast Alley shut down their forums a long time ago. Yeah, they're they're still that. barely functioning. Yeah. Podcast Pickle just shut down their forums <laughs> last month. Pickle, yeah. Um, podcastingnews.com is went offline a month or two ago. Yeah. So it seems like whatever remnants of the old podcasting world there, there was, I especially like the Second Life podcasting things. Like I remember Adam Curry had a podcasting castle <laughs> and a podcasting island. In fact, before it went offline, the Podcast Pickle had a whole sub-forum in their forum for podcasters in Second Life. Yeah, that was I mean, that deal. was sort of like such recent history, but it feels like such ancient history. Yeah. I mean, Second Life is on its last legs. I don't think it's going to really? last that much longer. Mm. Um, I remember when companies wanted to have presence on Second Life, like the banks in the Netherlands oh, yeah, yeah. had paid people to make their little headquarters on Second Life. Well, then they found out that there was uh, <laughs> virtual uh, pedophilia happening in the next grid over, no, there was major... I see how that can, yeah. And that really turned off a lot of people to, to Second Life. And that company is, I guess, was just not really up to the task. They recently updated their term, terms of service to, <laughs> similar to Facebook, claim ownership to everything ever that's uploaded. Oh, right. So, you know, there's a lot of people that make a living designing clothes for virtual avatars, yeah. uploading it to, to Second Life. Well, now Second Life owns your intellectual property. Hmm. So can you even sell it? You owe them. I don't know. So a lot of these people have actually uh, forbidden it to be used in Second Life because there's o um, OS Grid and Open... O OS Grid is based on OpenSim, which is based on an open source version of Second Life. I've explored it. <laughs> the engine, the graphical engine is, is, not, is not good. It's not okay. We need a next generation. I've been playing Grand Theft Auto V. We need that as Second Life. We need something that's yeah. that good in 3D physics and driving and everything so it will come I do you know me I'm really into VR and I think that's yeah. the next thing is coming alright Frank well um, I mean we could actually talk forever but but you know we should give people a break I'm I know it's been, see I could just sit yeah it's an hour and 15 minutes and we're both freezing here yeah it's got so, really so now cool. we can go offline and yeah. we, we can talk I, I always love talking to people at off the air too. Yeah, I, I don't actually talk. Once you turn that off, I just yeah, I just walk. Because I feel like it's I'm I, I'm still the same person, but sort of different, I guess. Or I don't yeah. know. Like we're everything we're saying has to be a little bit guarded because we know it's going to be listened to by billions of people in all future timelines. That about does it for today's program. Just wanted to mention Frank Edward Nora's website and his program, The Overnightscape at theovernightscape.com. Always new content coming from him for so many years, so well worth checking out. I highly recommend adding it to your podcast list. Otherwise, the website here is citizenreporter.org. I also should mention we do News of the World every week. News review podcast, Tim Pritlove and myself. That's News of the World with a Z uh, on the news part. Anyway, I'll be back again next week with another podcast from New York City, the New York City series. And I'm really glad to be able to share these little moments from my journey. And, well, that's it. Thanks so much for your support, both as listeners and donators and listening donators. All right, I'm leaving. Goodbye. See ya.
just to know.